That's one of my favorite songs that Josh and Stephen and Woodlands Worship has written. I love the words, when you see a funeral, I see a resurrection. And um, I know that our Lord specializes in resurrection. And it's not long until we celebrate Easter and the resurrection, but I just want you to know today, he wants to do some resurrection in our lives, to resurrect dying hopes, resurrect dying dreams. God wants to bring some resurrection in your life today. Maybe it's resurrecting a dying marriage. I know this, God specializes in resurrection. And he wants to bring an awakening to you today. And so we're gonna go to him, we're gonna thank him for what he's gonna do in advance because he wants to meet your needs. In fact, God always starts with what you need most. Did you know when Jesus would heal someone, many times he would ask, what is it that you need me to do? Like the blind man said, I wanna see. And so he always starts with the need that you need most. And he wants to meet that need today. But then he takes you to the need that you really need most, and that's a deeper relationship with him. He loves you and he'll meet you right where you are, but then he'll take you to a place you never dreamed of. So let's pray to him. Dear God, I thank you that you love us so much and you wanna meet our needs. You're the only one who really can. But Lord, I know that our greatest need is a deeper relationship with you, to learn to trust you more, to realize that you're right there with us each and every day, to guide us through the day, that you love us so much. So I pray, Lord, that you would meet us right where we're at, but you wouldn't leave us there. You'd take us to where you want us to be, where we never dreamed that we could be in this life. And I thank you, Lord, that then you wanna take us to the perfect place, that place of heaven. We thank you that you specialize in resurrections as we move toward Easter. It just really put an excitement in our hearts and all of our church to celebrate, to bring friends, because that's what it's all about, Lord. Without your resurrection, everything in life is meaningless, but you are alive to make all the difference in our lives. Do that right now over the next few moments. Speak through me, Lord, and I thank you that your word is life-changing, and I pray that you would change us all. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Stephen Paul Jobs died on October the 5th, 2011, at 56 years of age, as one of the greatest innovators the world has ever seen on par with people like Thomas Edison. Steve Jobs built the Apple Corporation into the, one of the world's most valuable companies, and more importantly, changed the world by masterminding an array of innovative products that revolutionized computers, that revolutionized telecommunications, that revolutionized music and film. Jobs was also one of the most powerful communicators of our time. His public speeches unveiling new Apple products are legendary, and his commencement addresses are quoted all over the world. But he may have uttered his most profound and riveting words at the last moment of his life. According to his sister, Mona Simpson, who was with him when he died, Steve Jobs' last words were, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow, and then he died. What was he seeing as he spoke those words? Was he seeing the glory of perfect heaven? Was he seeing the horrors of hell? Was he just realizing the finality of his last moments on this earth? We don't know why he said, oh wow, oh wow, oh wow. But I do know 
that in that one moment after that last heartbeat, every one of us will have an oh wow moment. That moment where everything comes into focus as we enter eternity. We'll have this complete clarity on what really matters. We will clearly see that many of the things we thought were so important were meaningless. We'll realize that many of the things we worried about weren't worth one second of our precious time on earth. And instantly, we'll know that most of the things that we thought were so valuable were completely worthless. We'll wake up to the fact that the only things that were important are the things that last for all eternity. And by the way, Walter Isaacson, who wrote Steve Jobs' biography, said when he first met him, Jobs said that he didn't believe in God. But then after he got cancer, he said, now I'm about 50-50 in believing in God. And then as he got sicker, he said, you know, it's over 50% now in believing in God. But then he told Isaacson something really interesting. He said, but I'm still afraid that there's an on-off switch. And when I die, it will just be turned off and that's it. And I hate that thought. That's why I never put on-off switches on any Apple products. We're in this series I'm calling Five Things God Wants All His Kids to Know. And one of the most important things God wants all his kids to know is there is no on-off switch. Heaven is real. Yes, your heart will turn off one day. Your breathing may be turned off, but you will never be turned off because you were made for eternity. You were created to live forever. And the good news is heaven is real. The great news is, the greatest news is, heaven is real. So I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll see just a little glimpse of heaven. Would you stand in honor of God's word? Follow along with me. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. You can be seated. The Bible compares our earthly bodies to temporary tents. It says one day we'll fold up these tents that we live in right now because we won't need them anymore because they're temporary and we'll get a permanent home in heaven with a heavenly body. Your body is really your earth suit. You only need it here on earth. These earth suits that are perishable can't survive in heaven because they're not equipped for heaven. And one day we'll trade in our earth suit for a perfect heavenly body with no more brokenness. Now sometimes people ask me, Carrie, will I be able to recognize my loved ones in heaven? Of course. In heaven, you'll be the same person, you'll just get a new perfect body. That's why there's no need for health clubs in heaven. You'll have a new perfect body. I'll have a perfect body, so you'll recognize your loved ones, but you might have to do a double take on some of them. It's like, wait a minute. 
Is that you, uncle? I mean, I mean, you're 70 pounds lighter and you're ripped. That's crazy. Is that you, Pastor Kerry? You got a full head of hair. I didn't recognize you at first. You'll be the same person. You'll just get a new perfect body in heaven. And I love the analogy that Paul uses in this passage, that your earthly body is like a tent. It's temporary. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to admit, I'm not really a tent person. I'm not really a camping person. Don't get me wrong, I love the great outdoors as long as I'm looking at it through a hotel window. <laughs> you see, that's when I really appreciate God's creation. Now, I really love being in God's creation. I, I love hiking, being in the mountains, being in the forest, cooking out, fishing, looking up at the stars, as long as I'm comfortably indoors at bedtime. I just never grew up camping, learning how to do those kind of things. And I've told you how a few years ago, we signed our whole family up for a rafting trip down the Colorado River that encompassed every mile that ran through the Grand Canyon. And I'm going to tell you about it again from a different angle because I'm still processing the trauma and this is just for me. Chris said, this is gonna be amazing because it's not camping, this is called glamping. No, it was just flat out camping, you know. We'd float down the river all day, then put our tents up at night, and it always took me about an hour longer to put my tent up than everyone else. It was just so frustrating, and I always ended up with extra pieces. And then it ended up being too hot to sleep in the tent, but I still had to put it up every night so I'd have a place to change. And we'd wake up each morning covered in hot sand that had blown all over us all night, sand in our ears, all, all in our mouths and on our lips and in our teeth all day. And, and then we would take the tents down, pack them up, get into the raft, and then go through the same thing every night, putting up the tent next morning, taking it down. Now, the trip was amazing. It was beautiful. It was majestic. We made so many memories. We'd never do it again, and we don't recommend it, but it was... <laughs> This once in a lifetime thing. And I remember the week before we left, Lee Strobel was preaching for me that Sunday and I was backstage with him. I told him about this amazing trip and he goes, ooh, I'll be praying for you. <laughs> he said, I just like to go to a nice beach or something usually. And so that's what really got me thinking. But after eight days, I was so grateful to get to pack up that tent for good because where I was going, I would never need it again. That bus picked us up and took us to a heavenly hotel. And that hot shower was just a little glimpse of heaven. While I was in that hot shower, God spoke to me and said, Carrie, this is what heaven is going to be like. I do love how this passage says that God has put a little of heaven into our hearts. Because one of the pieces of evidence for life after death is this universal longing for heaven that God has placed within each and every one of us. Anthropologists tell us, and by the way, an anthropologist is not someone who works at anthropology. Just wanted to clear that up. Anthropologists tell us that every culture since the dawn of humankind has had some concept of life after death. So where did that come from? How did they get that? Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us, he, God, has planted eternity in the human heart. 
So God has planted deep within the human heart this knowledge that there's got to be more to life than just the here and now. We can't see it, but we can all sense it, that God has placed deep within every heart this sense that there's got to be more than just living 60, 70, 80 years, and you die, and that's it. It's over. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. There's got to be more than that. Every culture on earth has had a concept of life after death. So where did they get that from? They got it directly from God. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, if I discover within myself a desire which no experience in this world could ever satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You are made for another world. Now, another big piece of evidence for the afterlife comes from modern physics. The new discoveries in modern physics have just been mind-blowing, and they provide powerful evidence for the existence of God and the afterlife. Bertrand Russell was this famous atheist in the mid-20th century, and he said, there can't be life after death because all our experience is bound up in space, time, and matter. So what he was saying is, there can't be life after death because eternity presumes that there has to be alternate realms like heaven and hell. And we live in a physical universe. Our whole experience is this physical universe, so there must be nothing outside of it. Well, at the same time Bertrand Russell was making these statements, Albert Einstein and other scientists were making huge breakthroughs in modern physics that claimed just the opposite. Einstein's theory of relativity states that our physical laws of time and space are blown away under certain circumstances. And quantum physics opens up the possibility of different dimensions and alternate universes. As physicist Lisa Randall puts it, we're in a three-dimensional flatland. Our world is stuck in this three-dimensional universe, although extra dimensions exist. So modern physics now says what the Bible has said all along. There are multiple dimensions that we can't see right now, but are just as real. Now another piece of evidence is near-death experiences. You see, scientists have studied people who have had near-death experiences where their heart has stopped for several minutes and then they've been brought back. And many of them describe a bright light or an out-of-body experience. And skeptics have always said, well, that's because the brain produces these chemicals that bring about that sensation. Those things didn't really happen to them. They just felt like they were happening. It's just our brain does these funny things and it produces these chemicals that made them feel like they were having an out-of-body experience. But the International Association of Near-Death Studies has now studied thousands of these near-death experiences, and they say there's just too many documented cases that proves there's no way it could be just some chemicals in the brain causing this. Let me give you just one example. It's a case that involved a Seattle woman who reported a near-death experience following a heart attack. She told social worker Kim Clark that she had separated from her body and floated outside the hospital. And Clark didn't believe her at first, but there was something in the woman's story that really caught her attention. The woman said as she was floating outside the hospital, she was distracted by a shoe that was on the third floor ledge at the north end of the hospital. And she described the shoe very vividly. She said there was a faded spot on this tennis shoe. 
So Clark then went to several of the windows on the third floor and she looked out the windows trying to see if she could see a tennis shoe and she couldn't. Then finally she climbed out on a ledge and there it was. It was a tennis shoe just the way the woman had described it. She said the only way this woman could have seen it is if she would have been either out on that ledge or right above it hovering over it. And there's so many examples that just can't be explained away by chemicals in the brain that are causing these things. There's so much evidence outside of the Bible for eternal life. And our very own Lee Strobel has written the book, The Case for Heaven. It's now, I think on Amazon, Netflix, The Case for Heaven documentary by Lee, and I highly recommend it. And it's so encouraging, and there's so much evidence, even outside of the Bible. But the Bible says that one day, we'll fold up our earthly tent and have a permanent place. One moment after you die, you'll either experience the greatest separation in eternity or the greatest celebration in all eternity. The near-death experiences that we usually hear about are those where they see a bright light, feel a warm, loving feeling. But all the studies show that's not the only experience. Dr. Maurice Rawlings has said in his book, Beyond Death's Doors, half of the near-death experiences that we have studied involve frightening, hellish near-death encounters. In 2 Thessalonians 1.8, it says, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. Folks, hell is a real place. Jesus Christ believed in hell. In fact, he talked about hell more than he did even about heaven. And I wish I could just talk about heaven. I love talking about heaven, but I have to tell you the whole truth. The Bible says hell is a real place. Scripture says it's a place of suffering. First, there's physical suffering. The Bible uses the words fire and torment to describe it. It's also a place of emotional suffering. The Bible uses the phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth to describe it. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is a powerful image of emotional regret. It's sort of like when you make a bad decision here on this earth and you regret it, but here on this earth, at least you can try to do some things to make it better, but in hell, there's nothing you can do. It's emotional regret for all eternity. And then the Bible says, there's relational suffering. I mean, some people say, well, I don't think I'll mind hell too much. All my buddies will be there, all the people I really like, all my friends in low places, we're gonna hang out for all eternity, as if hell is going to be a keg party for all eternity. But really, Jesus said, it's a place of utter darkness, utter loneliness. It's relational separation for all eternity. C.S. Lewis said, hell is nothing but yourself for all eternity. Total isolation, total loneliness. It's also a place of spiritual suffering. Notice that phrase in that last verse, shut out from the presence of the Lord. It's one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. You see, God's presence provides all the goodness that we experience today on this earth. All of the compassion, all of the creativity, all of the adventure, all of the love, all of the kindness, all of the passion that we experience on this earth comes from God. 
Now on earth, we also experience bad things and tragedies and pain and evil, but God doesn't cause those things. Sometimes he allows them into our lives for purposes that many times we don't know. But all the good things come from God's presence. You take out God's presence, then you take out all the love, all the adventure, all the excitement, all the passion, and all the kindness, and all the goodness. So hell is complete separation from God's presence, so there's no compassion, no kindness, no patience, no love, no creativity, no adventure. It's all gone. So the real question is, how can a loving God send anyone to this awful place? I think most of us have asked that question. I mean, I get asked that question every once in a while. How can a loving God send anyone to hell? Well, 2 Peter 3, 9 gives us the answer. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He wants everyone to come to know him and be with him in heaven forever. The Bible says hell wasn't made for people. Hell was made for the devil and his demons. Hell wasn't made for you. God doesn't want anyone to go there. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose to go there. You see, the decisions you make on earth are magnified in eternity. And if you decide you want Christ in your life, you want to be close to God and follow him, then in eternity, you'll be in his presence forever. But if you decide that you don't need Christ in your life, you don't want him in your life, you don't need God in eternity, you'll be separated from his presence forever because our decisions here on this earth are magnified in eternity. And so God doesn't send anyone to help people have to walk over the crucified body of our Lord and Savior to get there. He's done everything to keep people from going there. And the Bible says when you die, you'll either experience the greatest separation or the greatest celebration for eternity because heaven's the place where the party's going on. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 6. As we go back to 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. But we are of good courage and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. See, if you're a believer, one moment after you die, you'll be at home with the Lord. And I want you to see that heaven is a real place. Jesus said in John 14, 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Heaven is a real place. Jesus said, if it weren't so, then I'd shoot straight with you. If there's no such thing as heaven and everything is here on this earth, Jesus said, I would tell you that because I always tell the truth. That's who I am. But he says, I want you to know it's real. Heaven is just as real as this auditorium we're in right now. It's just as real as the auditorium at our Atascacita campus that some of you are in right now. It's just as real as the house or the apartment that you live in. It's not some misty, cloudy place where we'll be a spirit floating around that's unrecognizable. No, it's a real place, and you'll have a real heavenly body. People will be able to recognize you in heaven. You'll just have that perfect body, no more brokenness, We won't be floating blobs of mist. And by the way, 
we're not going to be angels in heaven. God has enough angels, and so we're not going to be angels. A lot of people think we're going to be angels with long white robes and wings. No, you'll be the real you. Heaven is a real place. And I want you to also see heaven is a place of total fulfillment. Atheist Christopher Hitchens said, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to spend eternity in a monstrous, regimented place where everyone is forced to stand around and sing hymns all day and all night. And I would say, me neither. I don't want to do that either, but that's not heaven. But that's what a lot of Christians think of when they think of heaven. That's why they're not so excited about heaven. I mean, sure, they'll choose heaven over the other place, but they're not that excited about heaven. Why? Because when they think of heaven, they think of a long, boring church service. Maybe like in the church they grew up in, or they're thinking it's a church service where Pastor Kerry just goes on and on and on. I don't know. But no way, that's not what heaven will be like. Heaven is a place of total fulfillment. The Bible uses words to describe what is humanly impossible to describe. It says there will be streets of gold and gates of pearls to symbolize the value and significance and fulfillment that heaven will give us. Heaven will be dripping with significance and purpose and fulfillment and happiness and we'll have jobs that completely fulfill us. We will be totally and completely, for the first time in our lives, satisfied. Nothing that will complete your happiness will be missing. So people ask me things like, will there be golf in heaven? Well, is that part of your happiness, you know? Yeah. Yeah, someone said, I hope so, you know? <laughs> it's like, some of your wives are going, man, I hope there's not a golf course from, you know. Will your pets be in heaven? You know, I, I, I've got one dog I know will be in heaven. The other dog, I'm, I'm a little worried about it. He's, he's a little rebellious, you know. He's a little, I tried to baptize him once and he ran off. You know, did, he hated baths. And I don't know, maybe he'll be there. I'm not sure if I need him for happiness. But, but maybe my kids do. So everything you need for complete fulfillment will be there. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.9, because every once in a while on this earth, we get a little glimpse of heaven. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even imagine it. Heaven's more beautiful, more amazing, and more fulfilling a place than we can even start to imagine. Randy Alcorn says, when you experience something beautiful and sublime here on this earth, it's just a preview of heaven. It's just a little glimpse of heaven. So I want you to do a little exercise with me this morning. I want you to think about the most beautiful place that you've ever been. Just think about it right now. Maybe it was on vacation. Maybe you're in the mountains. Just think of the most beautiful place you've ever been. Okay? Now think about the most fulfilling moment of your entire life. Just think about the most fulfilling moment where you felt so fulfilled, so happy. And then think about the most amazing event you've ever been to. I right away think about game six of the World Series that I got to be at as the Astros won their second World Series title. And that was amazing when 
The last out was made. We're jumping up and down. And I also think about my wedding day and the birth of my children, but it, and not necessarily all in that order. So I had to throw the last two in. It's pretty quick, huh? Yeah. Think about the most wonderful meal you've ever eaten. Mm. Some of you getting hungry already. Most wonderful meal. Now bring all those things together and heaven blows them all away. It's just a little glimpse of heaven, something sublime on this earth, something amazing on this earth that you experience, magnify it times a billion in heaven. And one of the reasons why heaven is so fulfilling is there's nothing in heaven to take away that fulfillment. The Bible says heaven is a place of no more. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more sickness, no more tears. It's a place of no more. God says, no more, that's enough. Enough of the brokenness, enough of the sin, enough of the pain, enough of the hurt, enough of the grief, enough of death, enough is enough. It's over. All the pain is over. And it's all perfect, just for you, just for me. And the thing that makes heaven heaven is Jesus. His presence and all his goodness that we experience when we get to heaven. I want you to look at John 14, three, where Jesus said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you. Heaven is a prepared place, but heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. So the real question is, Are you prepared for heaven? Are you prepared to meet God? You see, God wants you to be with him forever, but we've got a problem. In Romans 6, 23, it tells us what it is. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this is good news and bad news. The bad news first, for the wages of sin is death. And every one of us have sinned. We've all made mistakes and We've all had things in our lives that we've done that we regret. We've all sinned, the Bible says, but God is perfect. And heaven is a perfect place for perfect people. And we've sinned. And what people have tried to do throughout the ages is because we sense it in our spirit, We sense it in our lives. We've tried to work our way up to God. We know that God's perfect and God's holy and and heaven is a perfect place. God's planted eternity in our hearts and so we think if I just do a little better, if I do good works, if my good outweighs my bad, I'm just gonna keep doing good and, and maybe you know I'll work my way up to God but that's pretty ridiculous. I think that's why some religions have reincarnation because, you know, it's like, man, it's going to take me a million lives to get there. But the problem is, the more we try, the more traction we lose. The further back we fall because we could never measure up to perfect God. And heaven is a perfect place for perfect people. But the second part of that verse is the greatest news of all. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. And so we don't have to work our way up to heaven, which is religion. That's the definition of religion. Religion is following rules, rituals, and regulations to try to be good enough. So God will look down and go, okay, all right, you're good enough. You're perfect now. Come into my perfect heaven. But that's ridiculous. That's why it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God. 
through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, God left his perfect home in heaven and he came down to this sin sick and broken world that we've created and he died on a cross and shed his perfect sinless blood so that I could have a ticket to heaven so that he could wash away all my sins. And so it's a gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn heaven. You just have to receive Christ and his free gift of heaven. That sounds so easy, doesn't it? And it is. But there's a a barrier that many times makes it difficult for us, and it's called pride. I mean, basically, you have to humble yourself to admit you're broken and sinful like everyone else. And we in pride want to go, you know what? I'm better than them. I'm better than them. I've never murdered anybody. I've never done any awful things. I'm a pretty good person, and I think my good outweighs my bad, and so I think God will accept me into heaven. I think I've earned it, and that's pride. You, you see, heaven will be a really humble place because everyone who's there will be, I didn't deserve it. You, you know, can you imagine if you could work your way to heaven and people would say, how'd you get to heaven? Well, I gave more to charity than anyone else. How did you get to heaven? Well, I was more religious than anyone else. How did you get to heaven? You know, we'd all be bragging about how we got there, but there'll be no bragging in heaven because how'd you get to heaven? Well, I didn't deserve it. I was a sinner like everyone else, but I received Jesus. He gave me a free ticket to heaven. That's amazing. How'd you get to heaven? Well, I didn't deserve it. I just received God's free ticket. And he cleansed me of all my sins. Didn't deserve it at all. Heaven will be a very humble place. We have to admit we can't save ourselves. We need a savior. And we receive that savior. John 3, 16. Verse you all know and love, but let's read verse 17 and 18 too. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And so God didn't come into this world to condemn the world. He came into this world to save the world. And it says those who don't believe and accept his free gift stand already condemned because of their sins. And God wants us all to be in perfect heaven with him, to be in his presence forever. And it says, all we have to do is believe in him, believe in his name, believe and receive him into our lives. But that word believe, you need to understand. Believe in the Greek literally means to place your life upon, to place your life upon. When we say, well, I believe in this or I believe in that, we usually just talk about head knowledge. I believe George Washington was our first president, though I wasn't there to really see it or experience it. But we talk about head knowledge, and we say, I believe in Jesus. But believe here literally means to place one's life upon, that you take the little bit of faith you got, and you place it all on Jesus to save you. You take that little bit of faith you've got, and maybe, maybe there's some doubts in there, maybe it's not a perfect faith, but you take all the faith you've got, and you place it all on him to save you. And you place your whole eternity on him. Everything on him. That's what believe really means. Tino Walenda is one of the members of the famous Flying Walendas who do the um, tightrope act, the high wire act, and 
he loves the Lord and, and he's come to our church several times, a good friend of Woodland's church and, and Tino's getting up in years now but he still walks the tightrope and does all these high wire acts that are so dangerous and when he came to the church we set up a high wire that, that went you know, all the way across and it was really high and Tino, um, as he's getting up in years, you know, he looked a little wobbly to me, you know, and I said, Tino, are you okay up there? And he said, well, I'm not as good as I used to be, but the show must go on. I was going, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, you know. I'm certainly not going to stand under him. But, but Tino, then he was just teasing with me, and then he just kept walking across, and it was so easy for him. He could jump up and down, walk across. And, and then he came down, and he said, Carrie, do you believe I can walk across that tightrope? And I said, of course, you're amazing. I just saw you do it, it's unbelievable. And he said, great, if you believe me, then get on my shoulders and I'll take your cross. And I was like, I don't think I believe at all. I am a skeptic here. And then he did something really awesome. He said, well, I'll tell you what, let's go down to this low one. And he had this little bar that was the size of a tightrope and he, he said, just put your hands on my shoulders and walk. And I go, I don't think I could even stay up on this two feet off the ground. And sure enough, I went right across when I put my hands on his shoulders. It was really amazing. And, and then I knew I could go up there and do it, but I didn't do it. I didn't want to show off, you know. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to, you know. That would just be showing off. But belief means that we get on his shoulders and we risk it all our whole eternity at stake on him. That's what believe means. So have you ever believed in Jesus? The Bible says even the devil and his demons believe in Jesus. Had knowledge, yeah, they know who he is, and, but they're not going to heaven. But have you really at a point in time in your life placed a little bit of faith you have all on him? You've gotten on his shoulders, you go, okay, God, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you, I need you. I need you to save me, I trust you. Have you ever done that? Look at this last verse, Romans 10, nine. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I love that. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe, place the little bit of faith you have on him because he rose from the grave then he'll come alive in your life. And by the way, the Bible says that our spirits are really dead until we receive Christ and then they come alive. And we start experiencing fulfillment, a glimpse of heaven. And so have you ever done that? I want us to stand right now. And I wanna just say, if you've never done that, or maybe you say, Carrie, I think I have, I'm not sure that I've really placed my faith in him. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died and rose again. Then get it settled right now. Just drive a stake in the ground. You can always remember it was on this day at Woodland Church that you received Christ. You know, the Bible says these things are written that you may know you have eternal life. A lot of times when I ask people, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? They'll say, can anybody really know for sure? I mean, I think I will. I don't know for sure. Well, the Bible says these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know so that when you stand before God one day and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? You say, well, I don't deserve it, but I get to go because of Jesus Christ. He saved me. I trusted him. 
place my life upon him to save me. You see, I want as your pastor to get you ready for the final exam. I want you to be ready to meet God. I pray it's many years from now that God uses you on this earth, but one day when you face God, I want you to be ready, and he's gonna ask you three questions. First, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Did you receive him? Secondly, what did you do with your one and only life to make a difference for eternity? Did you give any of your finances, any of your time, any of your gifts that I gave you to serve me through my body, the church? And then he's gonna ask you a third question. Did you bring anyone with you? Did you, did you share your faith with anyone? Is anyone coming to heaven because of you? That's why Easter is so important, folks. I mean, Easter coming up in a month, people will come to church with you on Easter if you'll invite them. People who don't go to church that don't know the Lord. I mean, this is real. Eternal destinies are at stake. And I'm telling you, just invite some folks, some friends, some neighbors, some relatives, coworkers, they'll come. There are many people that just come Christmas and Easter. But I'll tell you what, I know many of you who that's what you used to do. You'd come to Woodland Church Christmas and Easter, and you did that for several years, and then one Easter, God grabbed your heart and opened your eyes, and you became alive. He resurrected you for the very first time, and you don't miss now. And so I know God's gonna change lives, but let's invite friends. Let's bring some people to heaven with us and get ready for that final exam. And if you're not sure you've ever received Christ, just get it settled right now. I want every one of us just to pray this prayer out loud to God. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I want Every one of us, all you are Christ followers to pray this out loud, to make those who are praying it for the first time or getting their salvation settled more comfortable to pray and it'll remind you of what our salvation's all about. And so let's bow our heads right now. And if you've never received Christ or you're not sure, just pray this prayer. And every one of us pray this prayer out loud. Just repeat after me. Just mean it in your heart. Dear Jesus Christ, I admit I need you. I can't save myself, so I ask you to save me. Forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life. I accept your free gift of heaven. Jesus, you are Lord. Thank you that you rose from the grave. Come into my life and change me and be my Lord from now on. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you just keep your head bowed for just a moment, and if you prayed to receive Christ, would you raise your hand? There's something about raising your hand and professing that. I'm gonna pray for you, I see all those hands. That's awesome, keep raising your hand. Keep those hands up, because I, I just wanna pray for you. Look, at man, praise God. Dear God, I thank you for all these people who've received you. I pray that you would just help them take the next steps of faith and always remind them of this day. It's not too late to raise your hand. Raise your hand if you received Christ. Raise your hand, yeah. Praise God. If something happens when you raise your hand, you go, yeah, I'm in. And all those of you online, if you received Christ, just click. I'm raising my hand right now. 
Thank you, Jesus. We can all look up now, and let's just praise God for all those who came to Christ. If you prayed to receive Christ and raise your hand, would you tell one of our pastors or one of our volunteers, we wanna help you grow in your faith, and then connect to the church. Join the church. Take the next step. Follow him in believer's baptism, and we baptize people out in our baptistry pool uh, every weekend. We're having one today, and we heat it up. It's awesome. It's great. You know, here on, on this earth, no matter how fulfilled that you feel when you receive Christ, no matter what you experience that's so amazing from the Lord, there's always a little something missing. That's why we're never totally satisfied on this earth. We always have this nagging feeling in our soul that it's, there's something missing. And even in our most fulfilling moments, we're, we know that it's kind of fleeting. And that's because you were made for heaven, this perfect place, and, and God, What's our appetite, the scripture says, so we'll never settle for less. Because you're not home right now, you just live in a tent. Maybe a nice tent, praise God. But you live in a tent and everything that we see is just temporary except for people and God's word. And so, don't forget that. That's why we're never totally satisfied here on this earth because one day we'll be fully satisfied in heaven. When we get to our real home, our permanent home, this time on earth is just like a dot compared to all eternity. And so let's just sing to the Lord and thank him for heaven. Hey, without heaven, everything's hopeless, but we have heaven. Heaven is real. There's no off on switch. God made you for eternity, and if you're a Christ follower, you'll be with him forever, and all the things that are wrong here on this earth will be made right. All the injustice, all the pain, all the grief, all the sorrow, all the hurt, one day, all that is wrong will be made all right, and that makes all the difference. That gets us through. When you thank God for heaven and you realize just what heaven is like, just a glimpse of it, it changes the way you live. You live in light of eternity. So let's thank God for that homecoming day. And I know some of you came home today to Christ and you're gonna go home to him one day because of the decision you made. Let's sing together, Woodland Church, and thank God for heaven. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodland Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.